Let's pray together. Father God, as we launch into this new series, my heart's desire is just that we would hear your voice through all of it. Uh, I pray that as I preach, I would simply disappear and that your spirit would remain. As we look into your word, Father, I ask that we would have ears to hear your voice. So would you speak today, Father? Would you guide our thoughts and our hearts? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So I'm going to start with this. This book is not a book. All right, it's not a book. Uh, Yes, it's a book. It's got pages. It's got a front cover and a back cover. So yes, it's a book. But the Bible is not a book. The Bible is, is not written by one author with one audience and one purpose in mind. It's not a book. So what is it? Well, I think of it as a library. The Bible is a library of scrolls. That's what I, what I like to think of it as. Within these pages, which we call a book, are many, many different texts that were all started out. They all started out as handwritten scrolls, right, unrolled on, on big parchment, written by dozens of different authors over hundreds of years. This is not a book. It's a library of scrolls. So when you think of the Bible, don't think of it in terms of, of books. Actually, use your imagination and picture like you're in like a library with a whole bunch of different shelves. And on all these shelves are different scrolls that you can pull off the shelf and unroll and read. Imagine you're walking through this, this library. You can, you can look at, at these scrolls. Some of these scrolls were written at great times when things were just going amazingly well for people, the people of God. Some of these scrolls were written in terrible times when things were just awful and it seemed like there was no hope. Some of these scrolls were written by kings and others were written by peasants. Some of these scrolls are, are made up of poetry. Some of them are histories. Some of them are eyewitness accounts. Some of them are, are prophecies or, or the, the you know, written down copies of what some of the prophets were saying. And some of them, frankly, there's kind of weird artistic odd genres of literature that, that kind of don't fit with a lot of others, like apocalyptic literature. That's the, this, this library, you, you get the idea, it's very diverse. There's a lot of different kinds of literature and, and kinds of authors and kinds of purposes behind all of these scrolls in this library. It's very diverse. But one thing is in common with all of the scrolls that we have in this library. Every single one of these scrolls has been handed down to us, handed down to us by our spiritual ancestors who have had a a single message for us, and it's this. Within these pages, in the pages of these scrolls, you will find the words of life. That's what they've handed it down to us, saying, you will find the words of life. Within this library of scrolls, they said, we are going to find why the world is as broken as it is. We're also going to find out where God is in the midst of that. And we are going to see how from the very beginning, the creator of life has been pointing this whole story to Jesus, including the story of our lives. So the Bible is not a book. It's a library of scrolls. And that that library contains the words of life. It's up to us to explore it. It's up to us to explore it. So today... We're kicking off a a new sermon series where we are going to do exactly that. 
If you didn't know, at Grace Church, we are kind of Bible nerds. We really, really think that this library of scrolls is spectacular. And one of our core values as a church is actually bring your own Bible, BYOB. We say that because we don't just want to explore this library of scrolls, this Bible, uh, through a couple of sermons every now and then. What we want is for you to be equipped to study and explore and read and understand this library of scrolls on your own. That's why we, we want to equip you to be able to do that. And by the way, this, this, as part of this series, we uh, are handing out these little bookmarks, which may or may not be helpful to you, but maybe they will be. Um, on, on the bottom here, we've got the, the website where we've got a whole bunch of more resources, BYOB, and whatever. And on, uh, back here, we've got the, the ways that we talk about the Bible often, the world behind the text, the world of the text, the world in front of the text. And then on this side, we have all the different genres of Scripture. I mentioned all those different things. There's, you know, the Torah, the, the prophets, the wisdom literature, and just kind of a little cheat sheet that as you're looking at this, it'll help you understand a bit more of the bigger picture. These are around somewhere. You probably will have somebody handing them out to you in the lobby, but take one of these home, take a look at it, and maybe it will help you in your own study of the Bible. All right? Again, we want to equip you. And so here's how we're going to do that over these next six weeks. We are going to introduce you to six key, we're calling them threads, threads which weave throughout this entire library of the Bible. These are images and ideas that you're going you're to find popping up everywhere, from Genesis to the Psalms to Revelation. You will find these threads weaving throughout. And we're going to look at threads like sheep, and shepherds. We're going to look at, at uh, the sea, the, the ocean, the sea, and what that represents. We're also going to look at like blood, okay? It's, it's going to be interesting. Blessings and curses. This will be a really cool series. So I'm pumped, obviously, but here's why I'm pumped. Because these threads, these ideas, these images, in my own experience, as, my, as I've grown in my own study of Scripture, I have found that understanding these threads and, and hearing a bit of the message that they're trying to say, it brings the whole thing into sharper focus. And it will help us, every one of us, understand more deeply what this library of scrolls is trying to say. I mentioned before that this whole thing points to Jesus. That's what all of this is about. It points to Jesus. And these threads are a really big clue as to how. Okay? Before we dive in, though, and we're going to look at one of those threads today, before we do that, I want to make a note about how these threads work. Okay? Because there, there might be a temptation for us to think, okay, when we're talking about these biblical threads, you just kind of have to understand the bottom line of what these threads mean, and then you'll figure it all out. Like, every time you see a sheep in the Bible, it means this, right? That's not what I'm talking about. That's not what this is. Uh, that's not how these, these threads work. Because in this vast library of scrolls, what we have instead are different authors. I mentioned the dozens of different authors. These authors who take these threads, they take these key ideas, and sometimes they reimagine them or they, they reinterpret them. Sometimes they shock you because they take what, what you think the thread is going to be and then they completely invert it on you and, and do something you never saw coming. So this, this, these threads are dynamic. They're dynamic. Yes, they all weave together. And when you look at the big picture, you can see the story they're telling. But the way the authors use these threads is dynamic. And, and here's why. Because this library of scrolls, the Bible, is not a theology dictionary. Okay, it's not a, a morality handbook. No, what it is, is it's literature. It's art. 
It's, it's God's spirit breathing through gifted human authors to bring us into a conversation with the divine. That's what this, this library is. It is, it is a, a whole community of authors who want us to understand the truth about God through art and literature and words. Think of it like this. Throughout fine art, like uh, paintings and, and sculptures, there are also threads that weave through the history of art, right? So if you were to say, look at how the, the human body is depicted in art, what you'd see over time is that it, it changes and art, artists uh, react to what came before. Like back in the classical era, uh, Greek and Roma, Roman times, they really wanted to capture the perfect human physique, the perfect human form. That was their focus. But then when you get into medieval art or Renaissance art or Baroque art, you, you see that the artists are trying to emphasize different aspects of the human form. They're using light and, and shadows and, and they're trying to tell a story. And then when you get into like impressionism, impressionism or even realism or cubism like, like, like Picasso, these artists, they, they're rejecting past conventions and they're sharing these provocative new ideas about the human form and in its world, right? And then you get into postmodern art, postmodern art, which is kind of alive today. And you've got artists reviving old styles, but using them to tell new stories. The point with all of this, and the reason I show you all of this is to say, all of the paintings that I just showed you and the sculpture, all of those depict a human form. They all have a body, right? They've got a head, two arms, and a body, but the way that the artists interpret and play with that idea, with that form, the way that they continue to weave that thread is part of a far deeper conversation. Does that make sense? The same thing is true for this library of scrolls called the Bible. The literary threads that weave through here, they are, they are artistic, they are dynamic, and they invite us into a story. All right, you with me so far? That's, that's some setup there. Let's dive into the first biblical thread of the series, and I'll show you what I'm talking about. Today, we are going to look at the thread of the tree of life, the tree of life. And this thread, uh, like all six threads that we're going to look at in this series, it begins in the book of Genesis. So if you want to turn there with me, please do. It'll be page four in the House Bibles. And I'll just give you this little caveat. We're going to be all over the Bible today, a lot of different passages. So um, feel free to turn with me. It's a good way to learn where all the books are. But you also can, uh, uh, can just look on the screens where we have the text written. And by the way, maybe this is— I'm, I'm just not going to assume anything. If you're new to the Bible and you don't know your way around, there is in the beginning a listing of all the different Bible books alphabetically with page numbers, at least in mine, and a list of them in order. So if you want to figure your way around, you don't have to just know where Amos is. You can look it up, all right? So we're not going to be in Amos today, so don't worry about that one. All right, Genesis page four, very simple. Uh, this story begins with a, uh, an account of the creation of the cosmos, and it's a very a beautiful poetic depiction of God creating everything, and basically God creates the universe, and then he creates a garden, and he creates hum humans to live within that garden and caretake it, and this is what happens in verse seven of chapter two. Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. Then the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he placed the man he had made. 
The Lord God made all sorts of trees grow up from the ground, trees that were beautiful and that produced delicious fruit. In the middle of the garden, he placed the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then skip down to verse 15. The Lord God placed the man in the garden of Eden and to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. So, at the outset of this story, there are two trees, two trees. You've got the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Although, as I've said before multiple times, I believe a more accurate translation that fits better with what this story is trying to say is the tree of the knowledge of good and bad. The Hebrew words there, tov and ra, good and bad, good and evil, the word ra could be both, but if you understand the context, I think it makes more sense to call it the tree of the knowledge of good and bad. You see, up to this point in the story, God has been the one defining what is good and what is bad. He creates everything and he calls his creation very good. He, he sees that Adam, human, is by himself and he says it's not good. It's bad for human to be alone and so he makes the woman, right? So God defines what's good, God defines what's bad. And, and when humans trust in what God says is the way things are supposed to be, uh, when they trust in what he says is good and bad, what he says is best, well, then they experience life and peace and, and harmony with the world and joy. In other words, they eat from the tree of God's very own presence. But when they decide for themselves what is good and what is bad, when they listen to the, the serpent in the garden who tells them that God's way of ordering things is ridiculous, you're going to listen to that guy? When they listen to the serpent and they decide for themselves, they eat from the other tree. They eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and bad. Yet we know for ourselves what's best. And that's exactly what happens in the story. But here's the thing I don't want you to miss. Yes, it happens for Adam and Eve. They eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the good of bad, but so do everybody else. Like all of their descendants, it happens over and over again. They are presented with the exact same choice and they keep choosing the same choice that their spiritual ancestors did, Adam and Eve. There are two trees in front of every human. There's the tree of life and there's the tree of the knowledge of good and bad. God's way or my way. And guess which fruit humanity keeps eating, right? Our world is cursed cursed by our own selfish desires, by our sin. And the tree of life, it just seems to get increasingly uh, out of our reach, farther and farther away. So that in the story of the Bible, in this library of scrolls, that is how the thread of the tree of life begins. Now before we move on and, and start looking at how it shows up elsewhere, I want to just take a second and show you part of a video made by this organization that I am obsessed with called The Bible Project. They do incredible uh, artistic visualizations, especially of these kinds of biblical threads that are so compelling and beautiful. And I want you to see how they interpret this thread of the tree of life. Take a look. The story of the Bible begins in a garden where God and humans live together. And the biblical authors want us to see this garden as a type of temple. The top is the most sacred place, the holy of holies, where God's presence is most intense. And that's where we find 
the Tree of Life. So, what's this tree all about? Well, it represents God's own life and creative power that is made available to others. In fact, God's first command is that humans eat from all of the trees, including this one. So you're ingesting God's own life. That sounds intense. Yeah, this meal transforms the one who eats it. Or in the words of the story, it leads to eternal life. Okay, but on the way to the tree of life, the humans have to pass by another tree called the tree of knowing good and bad. And God says that eating from this tree will kill you. How does it do that? Well, it represents taking the authority to do what is good in your own eyes. And when humans do that, it leads to broken relationships, violence, and death. And so here's the thing. Both trees look beautiful, but one of them is a false tree of life. And the humans take from this false tree of life. And they're exiled from the garden for good. Which raises the question, can anyone ever get back to the tree of life? Well, later on in the story, we meet a man named Moses, and he encounters God in a desert tree on top of a mountain. Oh, you mean the burning bush, where Moses is told that he's standing on holy ground. Yeah, it's a plant on a mountain radiating with God's life and power, just like the tree of life. And God tells Moses, bring your people up to this mountain so we can form a partnership. And this partnership will force them to make a choice. Will they follow gods of their own making or receive life from the true God? And in this story, they give their allegiance to an idol. And it's just the first of many. The story goes on to show generation after generation choosing gods of their own making. And these idols were usually placed on tall hills like beautiful trees. But they're false trees of life that lead the people into self-destruction, exile, and death. It's like death's grip on us is too strong to resist. Is there any hope? Today I have given you the choice between life and death, between blessings and curses. Now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. Oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. You can make this choice by loving the Lord your God, obeying him, and committing yourself firmly to him. This is the key to your life. Those were the words that were spoken by Moses at the very end of his life. And you can see in those words the exact same choice that we've been talking about here, right? Life, death, blessings, curses. It's the choice between the two trees. One choice leads to curses. The other one leads to life. Choose life, Moses says. This right here, this choice is the overriding tension in this whole library of scrolls. The, every scroll is wrestling with this tension in one way or another. Will humanity trust what God says is best, or are we going to do what's best in our own eyes? Will we eat from the tree of life? And that image comes back time and time again. Now, sometimes the, this image of the tree of life shows up very explicitly. Like in Proverbs 3.18, it literally says the tree of life. So it says uh, wisdom, a.k.a. God's wisdom, is a tree of life to those who embrace her. Happy are those who hold her tightly. 
So that's pretty explicit. Sometimes, though, the tree of life shows up in, in less obvious, but still kind of obvious ways, like, like the burning bush that the video just mentioned. It, you know, a burning bush on a mountain. It's like a, a tree that Moses is given a choice. Is he going to trust God and, and go to the scary Egyptians and try to get his people free, or is he going to do what's best in his own eyes and remain a humble shepherd, right? That's the choice that Moses is given. That, that choice shows up again and again. And usually, when you're reading scripture, if you, if you are paying attention, you'll notice that a lot of times when someone is, is faced with that choice, there will be a tree on a hillside nearby. It's just a pretty, it's kind of like the authors are, are, are ribbing us to remember Eden, remember this tension, because the tree of life is always there in the background. Sometimes, though, it's a, a little bit more subtle, and you kind of do need someone to help you, help you understand it or see it. But I'll give you an example. Uh, the menorah in the temple. This was a candelabra that they had in the temple, and it, it, they would light these candles, and they would remain lit, and that light would represent God's radiance and glory and his presence radi radiating out over the people. Well, what would that candelabra, what was it designed to look like? It was designed to look like the tree of life, right? So every time the priest was in the temple, he was seeing a representation of the tree of life shining God's desires for the world onto his people. It's, it's fascinating, right? It's just like the artwork that we talked about before. The authors of the Bible are, are they're riffing on a theme, on a thread. Sometimes, though, they're, they're doing it in kind of provocative ways. Like in Isaiah 11, one of my favorite passages, Isaiah 11, uh, where the question gets raised by Isaiah the prophet, what happens when the people of God not only don't eat from the tree of life, but they chop it down. Like, whoa, that's intense. Now, I'm not going to tell you how he answers that, and here's why. Because I want you to go and read Isaiah 11 for yourself. Every week in this series, we are going to give you a, what I'm calling a take-home passage. So basically, homework. <laughs> so, sorry, I've got homework and kids that were looking ready, looking forward to being done with school. I mean, there's still homework to do if you really want to be a part of this. But here's the deal. Again, this series is about equipping you to study and understand Scripture on your own. And I think after this sermon, if you go home and read Isaiah 11, there will be some new things pinging in your mind. And when you read it, can you just do me a favor and pay attention to see if you can see any other hints of Eden in that prophecy. All right? So that's your homework. Go read Isaiah 11 sometime uh, this week. But again, uh, there are some, some fascinating ways that this, on, this concept of the tree of life is, is riffed on. But there's one more thing I want you to just file away in the back of your mind. There are these three Hebrew words that show up all the time next to each other, in the Old Testament especially, um, and they're this, saw, good, took, or see, good, take. In Hebrew, they are this, ra'ah is saw, like I saw something with my eyes. Tov is good, the, the tree of the knowledge of tov and ra, tov is good, and laka is took, or to take. So I'll give you an example. In Genesis 3, where, where they eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and bad, uh, Eve saw, ra'ah, that the tree was good, tov, good for eating. It was good-looking fruit. And so she took, laka, she took the fruit. She saw that it was good, so she took it. Seems like a pretty normal way to describe the narrative, but then you see that exact same thing happen over and over again. For example, in 2 Samuel, King David is, is, is chilling up on his, uh, on his balcony overlooking the city, and he saw Bathsheba. And he saw that she was what? She was tov. She was good, beautiful. And so he took her, laka. 
He took her to have sex with her and then he went on to murder her husband. He got her pregnant. He did what was right in his own eyes, just like Eve and just like Adam and just like all the people in the story who keep eating from that second tree. Saw what was good and he took it. Again and again in the story, people reject the tree of life. They reject the tree of God's wisdom, of his knowledge, and instead they they eat from the tree of their own knowledge, of their own wisdom. They define what's good and bad for themselves, and the curse that comes about because of it continues to spread. Thankfully, that's not where this biblical thread ends. There's more to the story, so let's continue. Well, let's turn now to the story of Jesus. He came to announce that God's eternal life was available once again through him. So Jesus thinks of himself as the tree of life. Yes, this is what he meant when he claimed to be the vine that brings God's life into the world. And Jesus invited people to eat from him. Yeah, he was inviting people to trust him and be transformed by his life. But Jesus also exposed how corrupt humans are, how much they love false trees of life. And so Jesus presented people with a new choice between life or death. And this time, they don't just choose death. They also chose to attack the one who sustains all of life. Yes, Jesus is led up to the top of a hill where he dies upon a tree. The cross is the sad and violent result of humanity's desire to do what is good in our own eyes. The tree of life has been overcome by the power of death. Well, it seemed that way. But Jesus said that he was a seed of God's life that would die in the ground, but then grow into a plant that would bear much fruit. So to defeat death, Jesus went through it. And now this new tree of life stands before us all. We can eat from it, but it will mean passing through death like Jesus, allowing our old way of being human to die. So that a new humanity can grow in its place. Yes, Jesus said he is the vine and we are his branches. So not only do you eat from this tree, you're invited to become a part of it, helping produce its fruit so that his life and love can spread through us to others. And so the story of the Bible ends in a new garden which is also a kind of temple, with the tree of life at its center, providing healing and life forever to all who choose to eat from it. Then the angel showed me a river with the water of life clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. It flowed down the center of the main street. On each side of the river grew a tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit with a fresh crop each month. The leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. No longer will there be a curse upon anything. At the very end of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, we see the tree of life yet again. Only this time, the curse that started all the way back in Genesis, has been overcome. Humanity can once more eat from the tree of God's own life. We're no longer stuck eating from the the tree of the knowledge of good and bad over and over again, enslaved to our own selfishness and sin. We are free to make a different choice because Jesus himself willingly gave his life on a cross so that we might live on a tree. 
Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it is written in the scriptures, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. In that moment of the crucifixion, that tree of death, the cross, it became the tree of life for all humanity. Because if we put our trust in Jesus and what he did in his death and in his resurrection, we can once more come alive. And with Christ's spirit now living within us, we can enter the the garden of God's presence once again. The biblical thread of the tree of life, it weaves into your life and to mine. So there you go. That is the, the biblical thread of the tree of life. And there's so many more passages we could dig into and look at and explore, but I wanted you to have this basic concept of it so that as you're reading scripture and you, you see images of trees and vines and fruit, I, hopefully you'll start tapping into this bigger biblical image and thread and it will start helping you understand at a more deep level what the Bible is trying to say. But before we wrap up our discussion for today, and we all go home to read Isaiah 11, right, which we're going to do, I want to ask you a question. I just want to take a moment and reflect on our own lives in light of this biblical thread. I've said that these biblical threads are an invitation for us to engage, to have a conversation. And so let's have a conversation with God together. Here's the question I want you to ponder today and as you leave church today. Which tree are you eating from? Which tree are you, are you eating from? Let's do a little mind experiment. Take a second, just close your eyes if you're comfortable with that. Take, close your eyes and just breathe for a second. Breathe and imagine that you are standing in the garden. Like Adam, like Eve, you're standing in front of two beautiful trees loaded with fruit. Which tree are you eating from? As you think about your life, would you say that it's characterized by trust and what God says is best? Does it, does it look like following in the footsteps of Jesus wherever he wants you to go? Are you eating, in other words, from that tree of life? Or, like so many, would you say that your life is characterized by trusting in your own judgment, relying on your own self-sufficiency? When you see something that looks good in your own eyes, do you take it? saw, good, took? Is that you? Or do you ask God for wisdom to do whatever he says is best? In Galatians chapter 5, Paul describes the kind of fruit that shows up in our lives, depending on which of these two trees we're eating from. So with your, with your eyes still closed, listen to these two lists, and I want you to just tell me which one sounds more like you. Paul says, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature— The results, the fruit, is very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, 
patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Which tree are you eating from? What is the fruit in your life? Because my friends, you do have a choice. You do. So here's what I want you to do right now. I'm just going to give you a moment. I'm going to pray and then I'm going to just gonna give you a moment of stillness between you and God. And I just want you to tell him what needs to be said. Approach the tree of God's own life and tell him what's on your heart. Father, as we, as we enter into your presence, as we speak to you what needs to be said, I ask for a few things. I ask, Father, that your Holy Spirit would give us all courage to face within ourselves the things that need to change, the things within ourselves that are producing bad fruit. I pray that we would have the courage. But Father, I also pray that your Spirit would give us the, the, the confidence that we are not standing condemned in front of you. Because of Jesus and what he accomplished for us, Father, would you give us the confidence that we are made clean, that we are made whole, that our sins are washed away, that we have no shame in your presence whatsoever. Father, would you invite us all more deeply into your presence? And would you give us a taste of the life that you long for us to have? All because of Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Thanks for watching, but don't stop there. We want you to find community at Grace Church. And the first step in doing that is going to gracechurch.us slash hub. There you'll find other sermons, details about upcoming events, and other important announcements. And make sure you subscribe to our channel so you don't miss out when we post something new. Thanks again for watching. We'll see you next time.